calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome Welcome to Scam Scam Wow. I'm Caitlin Brodnick. And I'm Sue Smith. And we love scams. scams. Uh, Guys, we love scams. We love you. We are still in quarantine. Here we are living (laughs) it up. I keep thinking that like three months in, we'd be like, oh, remember those days? And it isn't stopping. (laughs) I decided that I moved just to get a change of scenery. Just to have something to do. Just to have something to do because I was so sick of looking at the walls in my apartment. I had to (laughs) get a new apartment. Sue just moved last weekend. That's so difficult. How do you do it in COVID? How do you move? I don't know. There were these movers and they were sweating all over everything. So <laughs> I might have COVID. But it's so stressful. I feel like I can barely control the two people in my immediate family and then having to control a bunch of movers. It just seems like a lot of work and I a mean, lot of they, explaining. They did wear masks. They did okay. wear masks, but they touched everything and they sweated <laughs> all over it. <laughs> Also, it's an exhausting job. It's very grueling. Oh no, I'm I'm happy. I mean, that's why they're sweating. It's not like you like had a bunch of people over and you had like a small wine and cheese party where people were like seventeen feet apart. No, this is sweaty men lifting your thing. (laughs) Yeah, and I said to the lady at the the moving company, I'm like, can you just make sure that they wear a mask? And she was like, she was like, yeah, they're nice Russian boys. I was like, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? Okay. What does that mean? Great. Oh my god. How was your weekend? My weekend was fine. We I did have a really fun family vacation that was like it's very hard to do a vacation during COVID because and also I've also been calling it COVID, I think, because I feel like I'm in a void. Right. <laughs> but no, a vacuum. That's yeah. Right. So for COVID COVID, um, I we went to a lake house or a mountain house in West Virginia and we just rented is basically like an Airbnb and my whole family just went there for four days. And it was really fun, except anytime we had to leave the Airbnb, it was so stressful. And my mom mm-hmm. was saying I I'm not relaxing on this vacation. I'm not, you know, I can't really calm down. I'm everything's sort of getting to me. I'm feeling really tense. And I was like, 
because we're in a pandemic. I, that's the crazy thing. It's like you might be moving, we might be on a quote vacation, but no matter what, it's all un- inside this pandemic yeah. that is crazy making. Like you could have your feet in like a relaxed foot spa and then you'd scroll on Twitter and you're like, those people died. I mean, it's just, there's no escaping it. Yes. For sure. Even my my um aunt who lives very much in the middle of nowhere in Ontario was like Bless. said that she went to Costco for the first time and she was freaked out um because not everyone was wearing masks. And I was like, yeah, wow. How can you not be? Wait, I have to tell you something last I got okay. I was walking in my new neighborhood last night and I got Karen big time. <gasps> what happened? So I was walking, just going for a leisurely stroll at night. Um, and this woman passes by me and she gets very close to me and she says, excuse you, like very aggressively. And I was like, why? I was like, excuse me, excuse you. And she was like, there's plenty of room for you to walk around. And like, you know, I could have gone off the sidewalk onto the dirt, but it was like a little uneven, uneven and I didn't want to fall or anything. It's at night. Yeah. And she was just like verbally attacking me. And I was like, you are being very rude right now. Good. <laughs> That's all Good I that said. you said that. Yeah. And then um, there were two girls waiting on like on the other side. Like, what was that? And then this guy came out walking the dog and it was Dan DeLorenzo. Like, I, that? he that was guy? this director from New York that we used to work okay. with all the time. <laughs> but it was so random. Oh, Dan DeLorenzo. I know him. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Oh, but the, that she is was so, so aggressive. No, that's insane. You should be like, well, you can obviously walk around. I get that. I get angry at like runners, like people that are running by and sweating directly, like splashing me. I'm like, yeah. could you just run to the side? I do it. I mean, she could too. Like, why was she so angry? Whatever. She's got um, a lot of issues, honestly. Karen was not. She was not happy. Karen. Karen needs to go home and make herself a foot bath. She Karen just needs to relax. Needs a foot bath. Real bad. <laughs> she needs a couple of things. Uh huh. Um. um Ay, ay, ay. So, but within all of this, what I have left is we've been getting so many great messages from you guys, from our listeners, mm-hmm. saying that we are helping you through this pandemic. And thank God, at least we're doing something. That's all I, I'm so happy to be yeah. helping you so, guys and to be here for you. And you can listen to us during this insane, lonely time. To- totally. And I just want to give a shout out to our new Patreon patrons. Yes. Thank you guys, especially Leah. We've got Leah from Canada, Toby from the UK. Austin from my apartment, <laughs> Stacy from Indiana, Jamie also from Indiana, and Kendra from Seattle. Thank you guys so much. Oh my so gosh. Much. Thank you guys. Okay, so here's my scam for you guys. Um, when you do things like rent an Airbnb, double check if they have, if they offer things like washer and dryer, see if they offer things like soap to wash your clothes with <laughs> so you don't have to use dish soap. <laughs> Did you use dish soap to wash I think your we did. Yeah. Or like baby oh soap. God. Like we, my son, who's a sweet little two and a half year old, peed all over his bed. And we had, to, we were like, oh, great. There's a washer dryer here because we couldn't find a laundromat. So we go in. We're so excited. And there's not any detergent or anything. So we didn't know you had to bring your own stuff. So there were all oh. these amenities that they said that they had. Like they said that there was a foosball table, but it was broken apart like somebody was standing or jumped on it. So just check, like, is your foosball table cracked in half? You know, I like to know that before I rent with you guys. Those are my, that's my tips for you guys. Those are my scams for you. But also welcome to the club. You're going to hear so much about our personal lives on Patreon. We love it. Yes, our Patreon is ScamWow Podcast and we only discuss personal shit. It's fun. <laughs> um, so personal. 
<laughs> Wait, I had a scam I wanted to tell you. I feel like oh, my movers scammed me a little bit because they wrapped everything very nicely and we were paying by the hour and it ended up taking oh. them seven hours because they like wrapped the chairs with saran wrap and then they would cover it like in i don't blanket. care about those chairs yeah they were just <laughs> shitty chairs and yeah, then everything is thrifted put the blanket over and then they put tape over every single thing we own so i think oh. that we got scammed Oh, yeah. You probably have to say, like, these are the only things I care about. Everything else, if it breaks, it's an opportunity to go shopping, really. I know. I felt bad. I didn't want to say anything because they were in <laughs> the know. pandemic and they were working hard. They're also, nice. they're sweating profusely. They're nice they need water. Yeah. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do? Gonna do? Okay. Uh, well, guys, speaking of scams, we have one of the saddest scams ever. <laughs> I think this is – It's a sad the- one. And Sue and I are big fans of scams, but this is something that w- it's just completely heartbreaking – We have an amazing man as one of our guests today. He created and stars in and documented and researched this wonderful series called The Con that will be available August 5th. Cool. Please welcome. (laughs) Please welcome Patrick Patrick Lovell. Thank you for coming on the show, Patrick. Thank you. I, uh, I am so glad to be here, Sue and Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me on. You're very gracious. Of course. So you made a film that is that we watched and is called The Con. And we've never talked about the 2008 financial crisis on this podcast, but it's all about that and goes into a lot of depth about that. I will say it is it's gripping. It's really intelligent. I loved all of the people you interviewed. I love that cast of detectives. Those are like the sweetest, hardworking. (laughs) Yes. Working so hard in that first episode. And then also such heartbreaking stories. Um, and then I, I know in the in the beginning, in the first episode, you say you also suffered from repercussions of the crash and that horrible experience. Can you tell us anything about that? Well, sure. I, um, like millions of other people, went through the foreclosure uh, tsunami that took place in the uh, fall of uh, September 2008. And it was really the linchpin for me was when, you know, I'd been somewhat accomplished and I was in my first home with my family and uh, I had a young son at the time. Uh, he is now, I'm glad to say, 15, almost 16, and he may as well be 30. Right, of course. <laughs> so is my two and a half year old. He might as well be 30. <laughs> exactly. and, uh, but um, there was a time there in the aftermath of the 2008 crisis where our lives were so upside down that I never thought we were going to make it out alive and let alone as a family. And this whole thing with the housing crisis did not make sense. Mm -hmm. But as I got through that, um, I was able to put together a deal. Uh, I knew a guy who became a partner and we really framed it from this perspective. I was asking at the time, look, I'm a citizen, you know, citizens have laws. How come it feels like I'm expendable? I'm not expendable. And chances are sure. chances either. And so this gentleman who became my partner on this project, his response at the time was, well, look, if you can figure out how we went up by and for the people to up by and for the corporation, I might be interested in trying to pull that thread. And I was like, I can find that answer. Oh yeah. And one thing led to another, this became literally from that point forward, like a nine year journey to figure out the largest criminal conspiracy and cover-up in history. It is the largest conspiracy of lies in history. And so what's amazing, and I know that's a really bold statement because there's a lot of people that have lied throughout history, but based on the contextualization of what the story is, 
there was a method to the madness. This was not a natural disaster. This was the con. And you guys focus on cons. I'm here to tell you this was the mother of all cons. And here's the thing. People might be saying, well, wait a second. That was 12 years ago. Didn't the whole story get told? No. The story no. get told. And the thing is, it ne because it never got told and it never got covered for what it actually was, you're living in the middle of it right now. It's the exact same right. happening right now. Yeah, and I was going to say that um, in your documentary, you talked about the fact that this had started actually in the 80s. Um, let me just ask you, you both a question. Is the United States a nation of laws? I mean, we're not big fans, if you're asking us. I They have a lot of things. Are we something other than a nation of laws where all laws uh, are equal in their uh, implementation oh, and they're just in their, in their, no, really? No, God, no, not at all. <laughs> no, That's, not at all. So just so I'm framing an orientation, how might you interpret that from your own experience? Like in what way would you say the law is not equal? Um, there are racist gender, laws, race and class bigot laws. There's laws yeah. that were created in during slavery during the constitution where things were created without any concept of people actually being equal. There's a lot of that. I think the laws differ based on gender, race, and class. So they're interpreted yeah, differently I, I, based on who you are. You're absolutely right. And so like a lot of people, I'm very well aware of American history and of course, all of its contextualization and all its contradictions and everything else. And by the time we rolled into the eighties, I thought a lot of those wars naively those battles uh, that ultimately begin with the revolution, lead into slavery, then they go into robber baron scenarios and then into trust busting and then reconstruction after the Civil War. I got my chronology mixed up, but you get the picture. So it's kind of like back and forth. People try to figure out how to right the wrongs of the previous generation. And quite frankly, um, you know, in the 20s, um, we ended up with the Great Depression. And the Great Depression was based on um, I don't know, you know, about you guys, but I wasn't told, taught, I should say, a lot of specificity about the Great Depression growing up. And mm -hmm. what I learned in respect after this journey, and to the point that I'm trying to frame here by way of equality of law, understand that slavery, your your intuition about slavery and gender and so forth, there was a Incredible statement by a, a philosopher in France uh, named Frédéric Bastiat when he said, when plunder becomes the methodology of power for a group of men in society, they create for themselves a legal system to authorize it and a moral code to glorify it. It's amazing that's coming out of like pre-French revolution. And ultimately, when you fast forward to all of these different scenarios that you just touched upon in terms of equality of law, you find out more times than not, the law is used to suppress. For yeah. sure. And in the case of our uh, story, ultimately, in the Great Depression, we had a massive calamity, an economic fallout that led to World War II and everything that came out of World War II. Fascism, communism, but the United States didn't become fascist or communist. You want to uh, guess why? Mm. I don't know, because we're in Commun democracy. Um, controlling capitalism. Bingo! Ultimately, what we ended up with in the FDR administration was what was known as the New Deal. And a primary situation that came in that, that time period was there was a gentleman by the name of Ferdinand Pecora. He was a Sicilian immigrant that um, wasn't an expert in finance. He was an expert in the mob. 
and he was an expert in cons. And ultimately, FDR put him in a position to make the case to the American people and Congress where he laid out the facts of what Wall Street was doing, which was basically a mammoth Ponzi scheme at the time where they yeah. did a bunch of speculatory let's call it sawdust securities on the world that there was no backing. And so when people started figuring that out, there was a huge run on the banks and everything collapsed. Right. And then Germany collapses and we wind up with a whole lot of wrong. So what happened with Pecora is we end up with what was known as the Glass-Steagall Act. It's not rocket science. At the end of the day, if you are a financier and you have all the money to loan, you have got to separate commercial banking which ultimately serves the purpose of people deposits and writing checks and paying for certain goods. And of course, it's evolved over time, but that is not investment banking. What they did in the Great Depression was they gambled with other people's money. That's speculation. They put mm-hmm. deposits to throw into securities that were worthless and they made mm-hmm. money and made money on the fees until the whole thing blew up. And the only ones still standing are the ones who stole it the whole time. Mm. Yeah, I have... A personal experience of that. My great grandfather lost everything in the Great Depression and he, as a result, had a heart attack and died from it. I mean, it's definitely affected my family and we've, you know, it changed their life and it changed the course of how they look at things. And so um, I think that that also gave my family a very cautious feeling of when things were going up and up and up in 2007 and right before the crash of 2008 that this feels uncomfortable. And I remember like talking to my family members, like this is too good right now. Like something's going on. And luckily they weren't involved in any of those situations. But what I thought was so interesting about your documentary is not only the, you know, the comment on capitalism and how banks were running everything, but there's also so much forgery that that was an aspect that maybe also happened in the Great Depression that I didn't know about, but that not just bad crooks, so not just much. bad stocks, yeah. but just literally it was something called an art department where people were taking other people's W-2s, laying them on and a piece of glass them. and writing yeah. other names on and it. I thought that was signatures and stuff. Yes. Wait, that I, was so I, crazy. I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's just like reset a little bit um, for people who are not familiar or don't mm-hmm. know with what happened in 2008. Can you paint some um, bold lines about what exactly happened before the economic crash and in the aftermath there? Just some like broad strokes. So nothing happens in a vacuum. Everything is part of what came before. And sure. really the reason I laid out what happened in the Great Depression was it led to the stability of the financial system because we had rules and regulation that prevented, and we also had accountability. We had come out of the... Uh, Great Depression, we had the Securities and Exchange Commission, we had the Securities and Exchange Act, and these were agencies that basically were the cops on the beat of Wall Street. So by the time we get to the 80s, Reagan comes in on this platitude to destroy government as we know it. Ultimately, he went straight to finance, he went straight to Wall Street, and he got rid of all of the laws that had kept them in check. Oh, wow. The law. We talk about certain ways you keep guardrails, like we have to drive with, you know, stoplights and we have to drive with certain precautions. Otherwise, you'd have absolute chaos. So in this particular case, the guardrails started being lifted and it led to three things that we really paint the picture of in our five part series, which is actually about it's, it's six and a half hours which we constitute as season one, which takes you up to the great crash of the 2008 financial crisis. And what created it was what we call deregulation, which is getting rid of the law, 
Mm -hmm. supervision, which means nobody's looking under the hood of what's happening, and desupervision, which means that even if uh, you had the ability to look under hood and you had some laws, unless you're going to actually hold power accountable, then it's going to run away like crazy. So how does that play out? Ultimately, what happened was, and this is the, the key ingredient of the con, is that every story you've seen, did you guys see the big short? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that told you the full story? Just out of curiosity, did you think that was kind of the closed deal on the 2008 crisis? Did that? No, not at all. So it's a thumbnail and it actually got the the whole thing wrong, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You guys ever see, for example, um, on HBO, there was a uh, 10-year anniversary story done by Vice Media called Panic. Are you guys familiar with that? No, I haven't seen that. No, I saw the Queen of Versailles, the one that was about Love the that family one. in Florida. And it followed her journey. We felt, yeah, I saw that one. So anyway, they got it completely wrong because they were in on it because a lot of media wants access to power and they're not going to tell the real story. So what ultimately happened after the great financial crisis is you get Obama who comes in basically on a people's mandate to become the new FDR to create the new PCORA hearing to basically get rid of all of the problems that he identified in the campaign. And what was the first thing that Obama did? I have no idea. So many things. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No he did idea. a lot. He did, he did a lot of things. Put in all the architects and the engineers of the deregulation, desupervision, and decriminalization that had been in play for the previous three presidencies. Ultimately, he played the game of the system. And ultimately, at the end of the day, he didn't hold it accountable, which is why we are living in the absolute mayhem that we have right now. Wait, I'm sorry. Explain, sorry, explain that to me. So he brought the checks and balances from the Depression era back, but then didn't follow no, through. Is that what you're saying? No, you're saying that um, Reagan took it all down, right? And then Obama further fucked it up. What I'm saying is Obama, a constitutional law expert who was there as a people's mandate to clean up the House because he was very aware of dark money and deception and all the problems that came from the Bush administration and so forth. What he did was he put the same people in the cabinet that were there that designed this train wreck. Mm -hmm. They were there to clean it all up, meaning it happened behind closed doors. There were congressional meetings. There was a congressional investigation that nobody knows anything about. Have you guys ever heard of the Federal Crisis Inquiry Commission? No, I do not know. No. So that was um, a year-long investigation with over a thousand witnesses, and they ultimately, this was a bipartisan, supposedly bipartisan, congressional commission that put together 11 criminal referrals that they turned over to the Department of Justice. Now, when you turn over criminal referrals from the Department of Justice, ultimately that should lead to massive criminality and convictions. Do you guys know how many convictions happened as a result of the 2008 Great Financial Crisis? Wasn't there just like one, like nothing? There was that one group in Akron that got people convicted. I was really excited about. And then there was that one bank in Chinatown, and that's it. That's it. Identified the one that most people are familiar with if they know the story. But do you guys have any idea how big this crime was? No. Well, pretty big. Yeah, enormous. It was the entire financial institution. Right. So let me put it into perspective for you. So most people are familiar with what was known as the Troubled Assets Relief Program, but ultimately the people that were in on it were the ones making the deals to save the system. Now, you guys call it the capitalist system. Let's just call it finance. It's what... America's system. (laughs) Democracy. The way in which we live our lives. 
our position is capitalism, socialism, uh, fascism, communism. It doesn't matter what it is. Any ism can can. I like socialism. Great if you've got integrity to the system. If you've got corruption. Sure, of course. And so ultimately, that brings us back to this idea and the notion of accountability. But I was going to give you guys a number. So ultimately, they created a $750 billion emergency relief program that in the mainstream media ultimately was covered as all the banks took that, those loans, and they paid back um, the loans with interest. Have you, are you guys familiar with that? Have you ever heard that? Loans with interest? Yes. I'm saying Wall Street got $750 billion and they supposedly paid it all back with interest. So it was a good deal from the government. That's that's the way it was spun in mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's not... But I don't think that's what happened. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think that's what happened. Do you guys want to hasten a guess, hasten a guess what um, you think that the final total tally was to clean up the mess of 2008? Oh, God. Oh, God. I don't think they did as much as they could have, which is why we're all still struggling. Um, yeah. I don't know. Billions. I have no idea. Okay, the number's twenty nine trillion. Oh my okay. god. Okay. That's that sounds fake. That's, that's such insane. a high number. That's insane. That's how much we pumped into the system. Okay. You know the the hit actually to GDP was forty six point seven trillion. Ugh. Let's put it this way. The entire system that went down was built on all of these levels that you see in episodes one, two, three, and four, and four, what we call B. And you've, you've seen so far episode one, which is very important, and I'll come back to that in a minute. And two. But ultimately, nobody knows it was $29 trillion. Let me ask you girls a question. How much, how much good could come from $29 trillion pumping into our economy right now to the people that need it? Yeah, give me it. I know. A lot. <laughs> I would love it. I, but I is it terrible to be so cynical that I'm like, it's not going to go to the right people. It's not going to go to the people who need it. Who pulled this whole thing out and got away with it. So, well, yeah. because they're running it, acting like the good guy, because they're holding all this pot strings. Can you hasten a guess why they're running it? Like, give me an example of how they're running it and who's there. Wait, who are, yeah, I don't even understand what you're talking about. Wait, on it. So you're just who that they're running it. I'm just asking you. Oh, the criminals. Yes. So what I believe, what I understood from your documentary is that there were these mortgage brokerage companies and quote banks that weren't even legitimate banks that would then go up to people, tell them they could give them a loan on their house. They could refinance. They, if they can't pay back the loan, they'll get them another loan. There's no problem. They gave them the price that their home was valued at, but all of this was working to their advantage because they worked with fake people that gave inflated investment prices and they worked with crooks and contractors who would fix things that weren't properly fixed. And then when people would default on their payments, they would they wouldn't actually be there for them and the interest rates would get higher. So all of this was a believe what I understand from your documentary is that from the beginning they fixed everything to work in their favor and that when they it really was all just selling the packages, selling the deals. And then when they would sell a deal, they would make money on it without any of the promises that they would offer other people. So you would have these bankers or specific people, not even technical bankers, as you put it, they were people that were working at like fast food stores and then would turn and be and be selling you know mortgages um, the next week and that they could make like thousands, tens of thousands of dollars just convincing one person to refinance and get one of their loans. Um, 
And so it feels like they created this entire system that so whatever happened to the common person, they were then supported and they had all these people under them. Okay, I think that's a really terrific analysis so far from what you've seen. Um, what you saw was a compartmentalized version of a, syst- a system. It's a system. Sure. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. When you get a loan on a house, typically you have to have the ability to pay back a loan. So let's say you've had X amount of time in a job. Um, Because of that, your income, you qualify. Credit rating, you qualify for a a specific kind of loan. You put that loan into a house. You work out based on the interest payments, what that that interest payment will be. um, and, And all of that criteria goes in. And so within the system, you know, you ultimately... As a broker or lender um, or real estate agent that puts these things together, the idea is you bring a qualified buyer to the table, that person qualifies for a specific loan, and then you get that loan based on some sort of down payment, and then okay, yeah, whatever that stuff is. And ultimately, in the old days, the banks that wrote that loan would hold that loan for 30 to 40 years, and they make money on interest based on loaning you that money. Now, they, if they have that going on, they have skin in the game. And so, therefore, they're holding the loan. They want to make sure that the people that they lend to pay it back. In mm-hmm. this particular case, what we did was we securitized mortgages. And what it became was about the fee. People were right. houses as quickly as possible. And to your point earlier about the law being used to basically wreck minorities, well, that's yes. absolutely the truth in this case. In fact, it was part of their business model. They targeted what they called the weak, the meek, and the ignorant. And so, like, which in, is horrible. In, what we discovered, and it is an absolute miracle from a tragedy. The woman who is our protagonist is a woman by the name of Addie Polk. She's a not- so devastating. Ninety-one-year-old African-American woman. Where she and her husband were part of the great Southern 
exodus to the Midwest when they could get jobs out of the agrarian slave Jim Crow South, where they ultimately ended up in places like Akron, Ohio, Detroit, Michigan, working in factories, and they could afford their own home. So to Mm -hmm. own their own home in the African-American community, particularly that generation, was epic. It was so huge. It was immense. They usually built their houses right around the churches. Their entire life was spent, even if they made more money, in the same house. They raised their children. Addie Polk was one of those people. She lived there for four decades. And then suddenly, in September of 2008, they're knocking on her door, leaving her foreclosure notices that she wasn't aware of. Now, the whole genesis of it at that time were... After the train wreck of 2008, what particularly the CNBC crew and a lot of the, I'm going to call them the um, uh, Coke paid sort of spokespeople, coked out and blamed America for using their house as an ATM. Now, mm-hmm. right. the whole con was that these people were targeted by predatory lenders who literally went to the registry of deeds that has all of the information of who owns what, when, and how. They target African-American widows who own their homes. Simultaneously at that time, the um, uh, cities and counties were sending out notices to these types of people that if they had a problem with their driveway or a problem with their roof, they had to get it fixed or they'd be fined by the counties. So these Mm -hmm. lenders would go into the registry of deeds, find out who these people were, and they'd show up at their front door and they'd say, look, you have got to pay for these problems that you don't have the money for because they already knew how much these people got with their severance or their, you know, their um, um, retirement portfolio and all that sort of thing. And they ultimately knew that they owned the houses and they would show them your house is now worth this amount of money. If you refine it mm-hmm. with us, you can get those repairs fixed on your roof and on your, um, y- you know, your driveway and whatever. And you have money to spend on your grandchild's education, uh, whatever else you not, might need to pick up the slack with because they didn't have any increased income. As you're probably aware, most Americans haven't seen increased income in 40 years. So a lot oh, yeah. of people would take the bite, take the, take the, um, take the bait and do it and roll their house into these loans. And ultimately they found out that there was exploding arms and there was all sorts of like things in the fine print that, you know, they they gave you 50 page documents that were hyper, hyper um, uh, convoluted and dense. Mm -hmm. They basically would just go, this is what your monthly payment is, but you don't know what's in the fine print. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. targeted people that didn't speak English. And then they, right. I saw that them. And ultimately, what they did was... And then they, they would give them contracts that were in English, correct? Like they would speak with them in Spanish or their native language, and then they would give them a contract to sign in English so they didn't know what they were signing. Mm, was a, it was a setup to basically steal their house. And so these, these mm-hmm. executives got paid commission to do so. And in the case of our protagonist, on the day that they came to evict her and um, remove her from a house she lived in 40 years, and 90, she's 91 year old, 91 years old at this time, Imagine your choice of being homeless uh, and giving up your house after everything you've gone through. Um, what are you going to do? Well, Addie chose to get a gun and shoot herself in the chest five times. Hmm. Yeah. What was so heartbreaking is that then what we discovered was I really loved the interviews you did with her former minister that he actually mm-hmm. 
came and addressed a lot of people at the church that were being targeted and even on her street were being targeted. And she believed too that people, he, what I loved seeing in the documentary is that he took it upon himself to check the signature on the mortgage, uh, the mortgage contract that she had signed and then contrast that with the signature of her payments that she would be giving the church for donations. And it was actually an incorrect signature. So I Mm -hmm. cannot imagine the anxiety and pain Addie went through when they were claiming that she had all of these fees and foreclosures and she might not have even signed, or it looks like she hasn't signed any of it. So they just- didn't know there was a a loan in her name. She was a victim called straw buying. It's a giant- And then that was- identification theft. Yeah. And they use fraudulent signatures to steal someone's equity in a home that they can get from a bank through fraudulent documents that this victim, an elderly woman who has absolutely zero ability to protect herself, um, you know, could do. And they stole her house. And so when the sheriff showed up at the house to evict her and she shot herself, she ended up being a Pandora's box to us in a crazy, crazy way. If that wasn't crazy enough. Right. What, we had already understood when we were making the documentary by this time was that there was a methodology target the weak the meek and the ignorant in their words and ultimately we understood all the different levels of how you have to be able to pull off fraud and what you have to do is you have to lie 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 nonstop Mm -hmm. everything that's going on in the process and what we just walked into was we were doing an interview with the guy who showed up to a victor and he didn't want to talk about it to us. He'd already talked to the national press. He was trying to put it away. But we talked him into going on camera. And at the end of the interview, he goes, there's some people I want you to talk to. Lo and behold, it leads to the biggest revelation of us at that time. And every single time we opened up a door, there was another revelation. This thing never ends. But what my colleague, Eric Vaughn, wanted to do from the very beginning is I always had this thing where I was trying to discover what the guys on the top end at the C-suites, you know, the guys on Wall Street, what they were doing and how they were doing it. And I was always kind of like, none of this adds up and I don't trust these guys at all. And I'm trying to point all of that, but I didn't understand that we had to build this from the ground up. And so my, my colleague, Eric, wanted to understand from the victims what they actually went through. And mm-hmm. he was pondering at the very beginning, he was like, well, wait a second, doesn't this seem like racketeering? Why wouldn't this have been, you know, charged with RICO uh, from the Department of Justice against all of the two big fail institutions? Because all of this stuff got um, swept under the rug. Ultimately, what Addie's story led us to and what you saw in, in episode one is that there was a Summit County task force that put this whole thing together uh, and got a small level player in Addie's case that led right. to only RICO conviction in the entire country. Isn't that incredible? I thought that was amazing. They're the only ones convicted. And they also, I feel like, gave so much more information that all of the employees working under them just sort of knew what was happening and went along with it and felt that their hands were tied in some way. The people that did the lending. You're saying everybody was in on it. Yes. That's the whole point. Yes. And and it was just, no, I know. I'm just saying it's sort of fascinating because this the guy, last name, was it Wills Williams? Well, and he just got out of prison, actually. Will. Yeah. Really? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Well, it's it's just so fascinating because he was able to convey to all of his employees, like, this is fine. This is the right thing to do. We can, like, feed off these, like, very sensitive people in the sensitive population. And I loved that sheriff's department because they just did the hard work. And mm-hmm. they there were no sort of pretenses. There was no politics behind it. They just said, 
That's what they did. Yeah. The rule of the law. And they were the only ones in the entire country that did it. And see, that's what's so epic about this, right? Because from Addie's tragedy, we find the real world example that this is exactly what should have happened. Guys, you got to understand the laws exist. It's just whether or not the deception of the corrupt political parties with political um, appointees that can be at the top of the food chain are going to actually do the work, which they didn't because they all got paid. Well, and whose hands are in their pocket also. Yeah. Like it's it, that I, what I liked about it's revolving door. And yeah. yeah. On it. Both political parties, they're all paid by the, by the same thing. And this is what's so disgusting at the end of it. At the end, wall street has its hands on the, what they call, you know, the, the basically the cannon of the Federal Reserve, which they put into their own pockets. So I don't know if you could, I mean, we could go off on, on, on a myriad of tangents, but this is really just the law. It's the facts. You put this thing one step at a time, and what you realize at the end, that $29 trillion figure that I just uh, told you about, about, you know, a little while ago, yep. that whole thing was a transfer of wealth. So imagine the criminals who set this whole thing up, but ultimately you see the deception that happened in the beginning with document fraud. fraud Project, let's see, what am I saying? Fabrication. Document fabrication in all of the other ways that they used appraisal fraud and all of the other things. Right. The system juice to be able to unload this stuff on, on the world's investors. And then when the whole thing blew up, they ultimately go to the president and they go to Congress and they go to the Federal Reserve and say, you don't pay us what we want. Everybody goes. And that's what happened. So the Federal Reserve so- pumped $29 trillion into the criminals' pockets. So can you tell us, um, you mentioned that some of this stuff is still affecting what's going on right now. Can you tell us how it's still affecting today's economy? Yeah, it never left. So it doesn't matter if it's school loans, student debt, auto loans, or in in, in the big case of uh, what we had in September of 2019, it's called commercial loans. They all work the same way. You package these these loans in the giant tranches, you move them up the food chain, you take pensions or global investors and you invest in these things, but you also have up the food chain, you have what we call derivatives. And derivatives are used to amplify whatever the value of those presumed securities are worth. But the thing is, it's all a giant Ponzi scheme if you do not have checks and balances. So for example, in the case of mortgage-backed securities, what we show in episode number two, that the whole thing is laid down because of what we call appraisal fraud. So a house that's worth $20,000 and suddenly it's worth $150,000, how does that happen? How do you take lead and transmute it into gold? Mm-hmm. Why? And so to your astute point, you, you pointed out that all of the complicit actors in this company did everything that their boss told them to do. Guess what the rest of the nation did who worked for the likes of Jamie Dimon, Lloyd Blankfein, Brian Monahue, John Mack. All- they did the same. They did the exact same. The exact same. And it, what is so crazy is that you're right now what you're looking at, it's almost like a web, like a, t- a tree with zillions of roots growing from it because mm-hmm. everybody was profiting in some way and they thought, well, little old me, I'm just going to get my little cut or I'm just going to get my couple thousand here and there. But they weren't profiting. And and when you have a boss that's okaying it, when you have all of these people that are sort of floating in this lifestyle and telling you it's great, it just creates like a task force of con artists. Not, ju- not just yeah, exactly. And not just not just okay with it, it's incentivized. That's what we call Yes, that's true. Yeah. So ultimately, you know, like in, in those particular cases, typically they'd hire 
like kind of like, you know, imagine I hate to I hate to use any sort of characterization, but this was true in many cases. They hired like, you know, the frat boy white guy and yeah. say he sold a, a buttload of these securities and he ends up getting the Porsche and the, uh, um, the you know, the uh, op- the uh, parking spot in the front of the building. Right. Everybody got paid. When you're in the trillions of dollars, everybody can get a little money. Everybody got paid yeah. the moon mm-hmm. thing, and it was all built on sawdust, or in the case of Addie, stealing a home that someone lived in for four decades. The trend yeah. of this is beyond insane. But you asked a very important question. Wait a second. How does it intersect with now? It's the yeah, exact yeah. same thing. So in 2019, we had a run on the market and they backed it up with repo lending from the Federal Reserve to the tune of $7 trillion because there was okay. a line on the commercial loans, which are the same thing as mortgage-backed securities 12 years before. But nobody ever heard of it because the press of this country was at that time up, you know, uh, Russia gate and everything that was happening along the lines of there's always a distraction when something really pressing important is going mm-hmm. on. The idea was then we get COVID, right? COVID starts, brings everything to a colla- uh, to an end. In the end, they end up giving trillions of dollars to Wall Street. Trillions right. of dollars backed up in these, these you know, alphabet soup of uh, emergency lending programs that are basically going to backstop. They're administered. Here, here's the thing you got to understand. There's a company, for example, called BlackRock. You guys familiar with BlackRock? No, yeah. I was thinking of Black Briar, which is from the Bourne movies, but no, I do not know BlackRock. It's a perfect name for this company. BlackRock actually is a company that's into and into you know to hedge fund, and it's also into private equity. They got their fingers in everything, but they're also the administrator of the CARES Act, so they're the ones that get to actually depend. They get to figure out who's getting paid for what ultimately, and they are market makers, so they can create asset bubbles that they back up from their own bazooka that they got control of from the Federal Reserve. So here's this non-entity that's not a government entity working for itself that's screwing over the American people and getting away with it. Why? Yeah. This whole thing works, but we spell it out for you in the con because everything is the con. Right. And do you think the system's going to change? No. Well, no. And I'm wondering, do we move to Canada? Do we open up what separate do do? bank accounts? What do you do? And we change this thing. The United States <laughs> is worth saving. We got to get rid of the bad guys. There's yeah. so many bad guys, though. And it's They're so all ingrained. bad guys. So I think I'm never going to own a house. I think. I think I'm never going to own a house. I'm too afraid of mortgaging. What, what, you know, what your documentary and what a lot of articles and news things and, you know, movies and fiction even that came out of the crash made me really realize that. I don't know if it's worth refinancing my house for a deck. I just don't think. I think yeah. I don't know if I could even take out a loan for a house. It's just not worth it. Consideration is if you've got the income to do it, and if you no way <laughs> really smart to be able to play it. But at the same time, it's just it's all a nightmare. You guys have seen. So let me ask you guys some questions. Who knew all of this before this conversation? Um, I, knew I knew a good bits amount and pieces mm-hmm. of it, but I don't know how it all tied together. I didn't. I was most intrigued with the group in Ohio. I just thought that was like an incredible task force, and I thought they were so admirable. And I loved their interviews, and I love that they were just sitting around the table saying, "They we have to do the hard work, we have to do the research, we have to do the hunting to prove these people wrong." I really enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, we're the only ones in the country that did it. I mm-hmm. know. So they should be really shown 
often and as heroes and given yeah. the praise they deserve because they actually did the hard work. And I'm sure that they're buried under tons of other news coverage and stories because, you know, the FBI and CIA don't want to be embarrassed because as also, you know, it's been reported that they chose to actively not go after Wall Street, which is ridiculous. So number four, you're going to see the senior leaders at the Department of Justice, the F- FBI and the SEC tell you exactly how it happened, as well as AGs all over the country and other regulatory agencies. And well, what's so terrible with all of this is that you can do your due diligence, you can study, you can do research. And then a part of all of this was that there was identity theft when people took out fake yeah. accounts and fake loans on your name and on your person. And so that that is what is so crazy is that no matter how careful you are, that you explain in your documentary that people actually working at the banks would find people's credit mm-hmm. information, then create fake IDs, and then go in and ask to take out loans on behalf of these people. And that – so you can't do anything about it. So I guess what you have to do is just constantly be credit checking. Um, you said you can't do anything about it. You just said to your audience that the guys in Ohio showed you exactly what could be done about it. No, 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 no. I'm saying you can't do anything about it if it's happening. Like, F- like she- Addie didn't know that this was happening to her. So that's what I'm saying. So like, for example, also in your documentary, you said that it was probably somebody in her church, in her close circle that knew that she was sort of in way could be a very easy target for them. And so there are certain ways where like somebody- Banks were paying church members to go identify people like that. Yeah. So something as horrible as that, like that is not something that you as a person would inherently think to look out for. And you don't want to make yourself crazy and never trust anyone in your entire life. But I do think that if there are ways to double and triple check your accounts, double and triple check your credit score, and see if you could do things as quickly as possible so that you could- find whatever false documents are out there, but it's incredibly difficult. I think it's- Don't you think the system should actually have regulation in play to prevent- I don't trust the system. No, no, no. There's too many monies- too many hands in the pocket. So I'm not trying to convince you. I'm I'm learning. I'm maybe. What I'm learning yeah. you guys is that there's no there's no chance to 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 do things right. So give up. I mean that's what I'm doing. No, not A give up. Bit. I just I yeah. don't I also don't trust the government or the rich capitalist society to take care of me. I'm not gonna say give up, but I'm not going to trust them. And I think that was what was very interesting. Also in your documentary, it said that like people like Addie, you grew up trusting the bank. The bank was a good man. The bank was somebody who would help you. and Whatever you want. That's what we've got. Right. So the question. So I don't trust them. No. Now that you know, are you just going to go on with your life and be like, ah, well, it's somebody else's problem to fix it? Because I'm not saying it cynically. I'm really trying. No, I'm saying I'm, I'm saying yes, because I'm saying that I cannot make a difference <laughs> in such a fucking complicated interwoven web of shit Mm -hmm. like there's nothing i can do personally about that except vote for the right people tell people to vote for the right people like that's all i can do but i think that it as the individual person it does feel as i'm sure you felt during this documentary like it does feel like an avalanche against you and when you clearly have an entire country saying you know um wall street are crooks they did it wrong they framed everyone and still the fbi and the nation's Horses are going, but you know, and we're not going to really pull them, you know, we're not really going to take them to task. That is really heartbreaking. But here's how you have to look at it. And this is why we have to get this out there to gazillions of people, because all you need is probably two out of 10 to, to be like, fuck this system. 
We've got it. Well, yeah. And and then you can you can railroad the bad guys. Now that's why we have laws and accountability. You just need integrity. And you're right. The whole system is a vapid waste pool of lying, um, treacherous human beings that are willing to you know play ball mm-hmm. at everybody else's expense. That's why you have revolutions. That's why right. history is the way it is. This is paint by the numbers, man. That's why mm-hmm. the uh, the concept earlier of what you know Frederick Bastiat said: when a group of men in society find plunder for power, they create a legal legal system to authorize it and a moral code to glorify it. We're either a nation of laws where we have an informed populace that demands accountability, or we're sheep being led to slaughter. Or we can move. I just, like, don't actually like this country. I'm sorry. I'm not a fan. I've never been a fan. I love Canada. Yeah. I just, I... I hate capitalism. I do. So... Patrick, thank you so much. (laughs) Patrick. Where can, um, where can people see the con? Well, we're going to have a live airing where we're going to connect the, um... Akron Task Force, Pastor Harrison, he's on it. Oh, I love them. We're going to connect them with the top regulators in the country who got this right. So people can find out more at thecon.tv. Thank you so much, Patrick. We really appreciate it. Thank you it. so much. And where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Uh, you know, the Con, uh, the series, the, it, let's see, it's The Con series on Facebook. And then, of course, through Instagram, t- Twitter, um, all of the social media devices. Great. Okay, great. Ladies, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a joy. Take care. Thank you. Have a good night. Here's the thing, guys. Um, This interview (laughs) was something else. And um, I think you just witnessed me and Katie getting scammed because... Maybe uh, mansplained mansplained? about American history? Yeah, I I think... um, Try to say, like, basically in his documentary, what he was saying was that in the 80s, this happened and there was this really smart detective who jumped on top of it. He got all of the businesses in trouble except one business and that business was then spearheaded and created the next collapse. Anyway, you guys, so maybe you found that interesting. You guys, thanks for listening on thanks that wild, listening. If you made wild it, ride. If you made it this far, bless your heart. Wow. Thank you. If you made it this far, message us tell us what you really think. Oh my God. Please sympathize Jeez. with us against the fight against the patriarchy what i don't know anyway, thank you guys, for listening we love you we and we you know are sorry for accosting you with this <laughs> sorry for holding your f- feet hostage but hopefully yeah part this of it's is the opposite we should do a psa for this episode <laughs> yes <laughs> oh my god wow um, wow wow but uh you know if you've been scammed if y- <laughs> you can always email us at scamwellpodcast at gmail.com Yes, and if you know anything about the Great Depression and want to prove your <laughs> intelligence like I had to do, um, you can call us on our hot tip hotline because you know I love a phone call. That number is 347-509-9414. Oh, my God. Thank you, guys. Oh, my God. We will see we you next you. week. You're our friends. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. 
And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.